Bentley. Hey, hey, welcome to I've Been Thinking Kim's Coaching. We are in for a special treat today. I have a special guest with me, Miss Jessica Sloan. And I am just delighted that she agreed to be on the show. I know I don't do interviews a lot, and she is only the second guest that I've had on the show since I started. And I was sitting and thinking and asking, um, who can I bring on this show for um, Women's History Month? And some of you may be thinking, women's history? She is mighty young to be making history. But ever since I met Miss Sloan, she has made a huge impact on my life and made an impact on others. And I'm going to read a little bit of her bio for you, and you'll, you'll see why. Miss Sloan grew up in Michigan and received her undergrad at Michigan State University in deaf education. And after teaching there for a few years, she decided to go on and earn her master's in educational leadership from the University of Dayton. And it was during that time she joined the Leap of Faith Dance Studio in Columbus, Ohio. And that's where we met, actually. And when I met her, I thought, wow, she is just so amazing. She's an uplifting spirit. And when she enters the room, the energy just shifts. I mean, her faith and her witness. And she's a beautiful dancer to top it off. You should see her. And then after making that bittersweet decision to leave her Ohio family and friends, she packed her bags and moved to New York. We were so sad to see her leave. I mean, she taught the young girls. She was a teacher for the adult classes. I mean, it was like she was always meant to be a part of our group. She just fit in seamlessly. Within her first year of being in New York, she joined a mentoring program. And after a year, her and her mentee joined Big Brother, Big Sister. And she continues to enjoy her time in the program with her little. In pursuit of her passion for ASL, she started working as a video interpreter at a relay service center, Convo. She enjoyed her time working there for over a year and developed relationships that led her to interpreting at Black Lives Matter rallies, vigils and events this past summer. And um, with her permission, I'm gonna post some visuals, some pictures that were taken at those rallies of her because the emotion that comes through those visual depictions of her interpreting. And if you know about interpreting, it is the interpreter's job to express when they are relaying communication. And even as I talk about it, I can feel goosebumps rise on me. And I was reviewing um, those photos in preparation for this interview. And it was like I was in the crowd and I could hear the speaker speaking because you could feel that Jessica was doing her job and um, emoting that emotion. Jessica values her faith and community. She loves being a support to her friends, family, and staff members and students. And during her free time, Ms. Sloan enjoys reading, running, dancing, playing with her dog, Rocky. And we all love Rocky. He's so cute. Meeting <laughs> times with family. And she serves as a dinner party small group leader for her church, C3NYC, and loves all things ice cream. And I read that long bio because I really want you to know that don't let the young face fool you she can put weight behind her words. She is a doer. And so with that, I want to um, introduce to you Miss Jessica Sloan. And um, I just want to say thank you for being on the show today. How are you? Thank you so much. Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Enjoying the nice warm weather. And um, I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So the first thing that 
I've always been intrigued by is your chosen field of study. Um, I don't know very many people that are um, deaf educators or part of the ASL community. And so how did you, how did you land in that field? It's a story. So um, there are a lot of educators in my family. So I kind of knew um, at some point in high school that I was going to be a teacher. I didn't really know what field or where, what age, um, but um, ironically enough, both of my parents kind of discouraged us from going into education. <laughs> both of them are in the field of education. I have an aunt and a grandmother that was in education. And so, you know, obviously it's a great field to be in, but we don't get paid that well. And so, you know, they try to kind of shift us towards other things and keep our minds open, but it just pulled me. Um, so I stayed home actually my first year and a half and I went to the community college, Oakland Community College. And I was just taking like regular prerequisites. And I thought at the time that I was gonna go and transfer to Western Michigan and um, go into their education, but special education, like special needs, learning disabilities. Um, so they require a language and I'm like, great, cool. I took Spanish in high school, four years, it was great. I took a little bit of French, that was fine. And I'm looking at these language options and there's American Sign Language. And at that time, all I knew was the alphabet. If you remember that really, really old Sesame Street book with Linda Bove, like that's what, <laughs> that's what I know. I knew my ABCs and like that, that is, that was it. Um, so I take this class and my teacher at the time, his name is Tony Laperna, an amazing interpreter, was an adjunct professor there um, teaching the class. And I just loved it. Like I love now looking back, I love languages. I love learning about languages. Um, I love cultures and I love being able to, if I'm going somewhere and I'm entering someone's culture, I want to do as much as I can to immerse myself into that culture and learn, you know, about the language and the food and the customs and all of that. Um, and uh, Tony was asking for for um, volunteers. He had a sign language choir at this elementary school not too far from where we were. And I was like, I want to go. Sure. And so um, I went and this school is really cool because it wasn't a school for the deaf like I'm working at now, but it was a um, it was a public school, but it had a deaf heart and deaf and hard of hearing program. So they had just about one class per grade. And it was an after school program where the hearing kids and the deaf kids came together and they would learn songs and Tony would teach them. And he just needed us to come along and help. During that time, meeting those kids um, was amazing. They're, I don't know, I just, I fell in love with it. I already knew I loved education, but falling in love with that just took it to another level. Um, and then he also had a few deaf visitors come to class. And one of them um, was a deaf woman who was talking about Michigan State University and their deaf ed program. And they have these two professors that are amazing and they're rebuilding and revamping. And um, my dad being the college advisor that he is was like, let's go. So we drove up to Michigan State, we met the um, professors and it just clicked. Um, so from there, I transferred to MSU, and that kind of is how I got into deaf education and um, American Sign Language, because years later, the way that I got to deaf education kind of got me to interpreting as well. So that's my long story short. Well, that's awesome, though. I mean, I don't even think I've ever heard that story for as long as I've known you now. I've never heard like the beginning to the yeah. end of how you got into it. And so over the years, um, 
I've seen you become even more of an advocate Mm -hmm. um, in different spaces. So first, I know you got a recent promotion. Um, Yay, exciting. (laughs) Very exciting, yeah. One of the questions that comes to mind about that is first, tell us about the promotion. And then did you, when you started out as an educator, did you aspire to be in such role? I'm curious about that. Um, so no, <laughs> I, did not. I did not. Okay, so my promotion, um, come, um, this past January, I became the elementary principal at my school. And I was not expecting this whatsoever. Like, I, I knew at one point when I was going into my master's program that I was like, okay, I can see myself stepping out of the classroom, but still staying within education in some capacity. And I thought more of the time that it would be curriculum um, and development, um, maybe like a reading specialist or something of that sort. I did not see myself in the role of a principal and I didn't really aspire for it to be that way. So it's funny because that's how because of that, I feel like it's even more of a God move in that respect, because I was, this was not something that I was like, I have to do this. This is my goal. I'm working towards it. It just, the door opened and I would have really regretted if I didn't step through that and, you know, kind of take advantage of that opportunity. So I did not foresee myself being a principal, but I can say that like three months in, we just hit spring break. So I have like a week to rest, but um, I'm really, really enjoying it. And it's interesting because in talking about advocacy as a teacher, I'm like advocating for my students and their mm-hmm. needs and what do they need? How can I accommodate? And specifically our deaf ed population, each student has an individualized education plan. Every student has an IEP. So we go to these meetings and we're telling their, their school districts, this is what they need you know, we know them best. These are the techniques, the strategies. If they were to ever transfer out of our school and go into a mainstream setting, they have to have this. And so it's like, as a teacher, I'm advocating for their needs. And as a teacher, I'm teaching the kids that they need to advocate for their own needs within the classroom, out in public, within a hearing world. And now as a principal, I'm like, ooh, I get to advocate for my teachers. You know, I get to say all of them, they need this in order to help our kids. So I like it because I get to, I get to make a little bit, I get to make more decisions that are more impactful on the large scale. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really enjoy that. That's awesome. I can totally feel your parallels, Um, different profession um, and not to hijack this, but as a bedside nurse Mm -hmm. going into an administrative role, I felt that same thing. I could be frontline patient peers with my fellow nurses but as I went into management I even had people say um are you going to the dark side you know and I'm like I am no (laughs) what is the dark side should I be scared (laughs) and I'm like I'm still an advocate no matter what space I am because that's who I am so (laughs) so um with the advocacy piece um And I know interpreting, as I mentioned, your job is to kind of go in and be, you know, you're not to take over the space, right? You're, you are translating into for people what the person is saying. However, I'm curious how that experience impacted you um, in the rallies this summer and um, 
from a just personal yeah oh my goodness so that was another um that was another god move really because i keep telling um some of my coworkers and friends i'm like 30s is amazing i love the i love my 30s i'm like 20s eh, but my 30s just because um that's when i moved to new york and that's when just doors started opening um and when it comes to interpreting I was not thinking about having this type of career. And it's funny because my dad kept telling me like, you should really go into this. You can really think about this. And I'm like, no, 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 dad. Like I'm gonna stay in education, I'm here. And <laughs> and it's so funny because obviously now that I'm in the field, he'll go, told you so, like I, I knew. Yeah, um, father knows, father knows. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, so I started working at Convo, right? Which is a video relay service center. Um, where we interpret the phone calls for deaf people calling out to a hearing person or vice versa. Um, and my um, call center manager, who was amazing, was always trying to teach us, like, okay, really, you're not there, right? Especially over the phone. Uh, many of these phone calls, the, the person does not know that they're speaking to a deaf person unless the deaf person announces that they're deaf. So mm -hmm. literally, you know, I'm watching the deaf person and their tone, their facial expressions, if they're yelling, whatever they're doing, I'm becoming that. And um, one of the things that uh, Mary taught me was you can't let things stick to you. Um, so we have calls sometimes back to back to back, depending upon how fast the queue is. So you can have one call that's very emotional, very gut-wrenching, very exhausting. Um, and then the call's over. And then two seconds later, you have a call to make a doctor's appointment or something, you know, like something completely different. It's like and insane, like. Exactly, exactly. You cannot wow. let, you can't let it influence you. And sometimes it's really difficult because maybe the conversation you don't personally agree with. Yeah. Maybe, you know what I mean? It's, it's any kind of conversation that can happen and that's their right, right? That's but tough. yeah. <laughs> as an interpreter, Mary was saying, you can't, think, you can't let things hit you. You can't let things stick to you. They literally have to bounce off. So as you're, it is your job to take in that emotion and express it out, but don't let it like hit with, like stick with you because you have other, one, you're a person, right? You can't take in all these people's feelings. And then at the end of the day, you will be exhausted. You won't make it through the day. Um, however, interpreting at rallies was a little bit different. I still had to have some of those techniques of not letting things stick to me all the way, but specifically now that these are Black Lives Matter rallies, the organization that I joined that a friend of mine just really created, um, PIP, People's Interpreting Project, um, that's, we just realized that, you know, there's all these rallies, there's all these events and marches and vigils happening every day right it, they were happening every day there's they still are happening not as much but um you know deaf people don't have access they they don't know what's going on there's people yelling from the back yelling from the front there's people coming up and and speaking um and so it's important that they have representation but even more important that they have black representation so we didn't have as many bipoc interpreters so because of that I almost felt more of a need to be out there because it's a Black Lives Matter movement and there's a Black woman speaking up here and no offense to anyone that is not Black or not a person of color, but if a white person gets up there and interprets, they it's not personal to them. They haven't experienced that. So 
yes, they can interpret it very well, but you, a person of color can take it to that next level because it is personal. Mm-hmm. So during the Black Lives Matter rallies and, and, um, and events, it, it was tough because part of you kind of had to turn yourself off because you couldn't go too far or get too emotional. Like people come up and share you know, their stories and, and it's very heartfelt and sometimes enraging and you have to show that, but you can't let it sit with you too long. Yeah, because like sitting in church and not been able to say amen. Like, I was right, like- <laughs> right. You can't step out of that. Kid, you know what I mean? It, it's difficult and, um, and it's very emotional. It's very taxing. Mm. So um, it's really important that when we did go to those events, we always had team, we always had a support. Um, and obviously, honestly, it was always better to have um, just a sense of community and feeling when you have another Black woman with you, another Black man with you that's like, I got it. You, and they're reading you as another interpreter saying, okay, I think you might need a break. Cool, I'll come in. Oh, and just having that team oh, working, yeah, having that is so important. So it's definitely been a whole other experience, but I wouldn't take it back at all for the world. Yeah, I mean, I had to be a tremendous growth up you know like to grow you as a person oh yeah oh yeah I can't even imagine like oh like I still get I'm telling you like it just gives me chills to even hear you talk about it um just one of those things that really stretches you and uh, makes you even a better advocate across all things um yeah definitely and even the people you know, especially when a lot of the times during like vigils and events they they open it up to the community and so you know, put myself aside, all the deaf community members that can now be in, involved in that right. and not just have to sit there and not understand what they're saying or be able to come up and express their stories and, and their and their um, perspective of not just being a Black person, but a deaf Black person, right? Mm-hmm. So being discriminated on both levels, or maybe they're a gay Black person or whatever that is, you right. know what I mean? There's layers. And so it's, they can finally have a conversation um, and be heard. And that's, you know, obviously why the diversity that of the people that came out to support the movement yes. yeah and, and so there's there was a diverse deaf community oh yeah likely that supported it too and they were they didn't have access so right. just that accessibility for everyone yeah mm-hmm. um and before we started this interview I was telling Jessica how I appreciated her accepting this for the sense of it's, it's a stretch assignment for me to think about accessibility and the research I had to do to figure out how to get subtitles on this, and it's going to take me some editing time. It's going to be fumbling. So when this goes <laughs> live, um, I'm please DM me if you have issues <laughs> with accessibility, so I can continue to learn. I will not be offended. Um, <laughs> so the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is I was I'm not going to overlook this. I mean, it seems like a huge shift, but from what we were just talking about, but how did you become such a good dancer? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, thank you. First of all, thank you. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny because ever since I was little, um, you know, our, our parents put us in everything, which I absolutely loved. My mom's a music teacher. And so everything in our house had to do some kind of way with music. We all grew up playing violin, play the, you know, play the flute. My brother plays the piano and we were in musicals and plays. And for me, she put me in dance classes when I was about what, three or four, you know, those mm. tiny little classes where you take tap, ballet and jazz and yeah. all that stuff. And so I, I um, always loved it. 
And there was a point in high school where I was really considering like seriously thinking, okay, this is what I do. This is what I want to do like for my career. Um, I obviously didn't go that route, but I don't know. And I, and I know a big part of it was once I was about 14, 14, I joined the dance ministry at my church and that, that group of women um, were amazing and definitely remind me of like my leap of faith family. So it's just like, oh my gosh, if these two groups of women could get together, it'd be amazing, amazing. But they had a huge influence on me personally, but also with dance. So it kind of really opened me up to emotion and just being vulnerable in dance. And um, I don't know, I just, I've always loved it. The odd thing is that I can be quite clumsy during the regular day. Um, but many people have said, you're so graceful. I'm like, thank you. Just watch me walking on the street. I'll trip and everything. But dancing is a whole nother story. It's just, it's always been a passion of mine. Yeah. Well, that, that from what I hear, a lot of dancers are clumsy. Um, so <laughs> I'm not alone. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, you made reference to your dance ministry at church. Um, and so I know like in your social media spaces and even in conversation, you're, you're not shy about your faith and you've shared it many times throughout our conversation here so far. But I think that that is becoming more and more rare in our society. So where does that courage, and I, I think it's courageous, come from to be, I mean, you're a professional, you are a principal now of elementary school, you are, I mean, you're kind of a public figure, mm -hmm. um, whether you know it or not, <laughs> um, in the mainstream. Where do you find that courage to speak so boldly about your faith? Um, um, I shouldn't say I don't know, because I do. Um, honestly, like I referenced the dance, uh, dance ministry when I was younger was a huge part of that. Um, I was the, I was about six, 14 and then, you know, all the way through like what, 18 or 19. And I was the youngest amongst our dance ministry. And most of them were quite older than me. So twenties, thirties, forties. And so I learned a lot from them as women, as women of faith. And it was just having, it's like having big sisters and aunts, just being able to mm -hmm you know, talk to me and just listening to their spiritual journey, right? Like I was nowhere near that at 14, but I could hear it and take it in and they wouldn't leave me out of those things. Um, and every Sunday, maybe except one Sunday a month, every Sunday we would get up a dance during praise and worship. And I remember being like, kind of nervous about it. And mm -hmm. then it just became a natural thing. And I think that's kind of something that built my courage because I was young, I was a teenager and I'm up there every Sunday and it just became something that was natural. This is what I do. Um, and, and as I've grown, it's just like, I've always heard people talk about, how can you not talk about God? How can you not talk about your faith? Like if, you, if I watch a really good series on Netflix and I binge it in one day, oh, I'm telling my friends about it. I'm saying on Facebook, <laughs> oh, this was so good. You know what I mean? I'm sharing about that. I'm talking about it. If I buy a new pair of shoes and I'm like, these are so cute. Look, it's the same thing. And so God and the, my relationship and my faith is so much bigger than all of those things. So it's like, how can I share about these minuscule at the end of the day, items, physical items, and not share about this amazing relationship that, that 
really changes and alters the way I see everything. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're a hearer and a doer. Yeah, trying to be, trying to be, trying to be, and humble, humble. yes, yes, (laughs) can I tell y'all she's amazing, I'm just telling you, she's one of my favorite people, most favorite is people, yes, so this show is built on three foundational principles, Um, it's, I call it B3, I don't say that a whole lot, but it's B3, be present, be open, and be intentional, Mm -hmm. and um, that was born out of, um, after I had my stroke and recovered from that, I was asked to do a TED style talk in my workplace. Mm-hmm. And it was built around those three principles um, because it was part of my healing journey, you know, learning to be more present with people, yeah. being open to things changing sometimes because I'm a little bit of a control freak. I like a strategy and a plan. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, I want to know what's happening next. Um, <laughs> And then I had to learn to be more intentional about, you know, calling people, telling people I love them. Yeah. Um, and just, and taking care of myself, like going to bed and, <laughs> and not just trying to run myself into the ground. And so, um, and spending time in my word and just about everything because that eating right, drinking water, just from the small to the big. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's so I want to kind of end on that note of um, one, how do you stay present in your everyday life? How do you stay open to possibilities and how are you intentional? Oh, I love this question. Um, it's jam packed. So let's see. <laughs> how do I stay present? Um, so I started going to therapy about, I don't know, maybe last summer. Um, and I love my therapist. She's great. Um, and I would, I would recommend therapy to anybody. I, I, I know as I feel like at this day and age, it's becoming more acceptable and more open and people are talking about it, but before it be a little bit, <laughs> yeah, you know, some people are a little taboo about it, but mm-hmm. I really think that that's one of the ways that allows me to stay present and open. Um, just talking through things, I'm getting another person's perspective and insight. And one of the things that um, she told me to do that I've been reminding myself of is to like sit in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's really stuck with me. Sit in the moment, not just like when you feel grief or sorrow, but like sit in the moment when you're excited like mm-hmm. sit in the moment when you're happy about something because I realized that I could sometimes just skip over like oh, okay that's great like keep going and she's like no sit in that how do you feel and I'm like oh, I'm excited she goes that's okay like feel excited and in the same you know in the same way are you disappointed are you upset are you angry you know I think for me sometimes it was like well I can't sit in this because there is sitting in something too long right I don't want to sit in this and just let it overtake how I'm feeling But I think that being able to sit in the moment has really allowed me to stay present um, with myself and just with other people. So I would say that for definitely staying present, Um, being open and intentional. I have to put myself around community. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I haven't lived that many places, but living in Michigan and then moving to Ohio and then moving to New York. community has become another level of importance to me because my family's not here um you know or my family wasn't in Ohio but then you make that family and you make that community and that's something that allows me to stay open 
because I think at times, especially in the beginning when I didn't know everybody, I could sit at home and just watch TV and be like, you know, I'm good. Um, <laughs> yes, eat my ice cream. Um, this was pre-Rocky, so I was just relaxing. So, um, which is fine. You know, there's a lot of good, like me time, but um, we're here for community. We're made, you know, to love on people and support people and be supported by people and be loved on by other people. So um, that's been something that I have learned to seek after. Um because in Ohio, it was a process, but it was my first time moving away from home. And in New York, I immediately was like, I need this, I need this, let me search for that. Let me, you know, really just make New York my home um, and just ground myself and find community. And and within that, that community allows me to stay accountable. So, you know, those things that I say that I'm going to do or <laughs> the things that even if it's something like you said going to bed on time, like it's a small thing. It's a huge thing. Like, <laughs> as like, I think mentally it's like, okay, Jessica, you're going to be a principal now. So you need to be at work early, which means you need to go to bed early. And that was a struggle for me. Mm -hmm. um, but like having my friends, it's tough, right? <laughs> having my friends say, it's 1030. You said you're going to be in the bed by 1030. Like, well, I'm not talking to you on the phone anymore because you said you need to go to sleep and we're not talking. Like, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I was like, oh, okay. Thank you. I need that. Um, and, and, you know, that's something small, but also in the way of being accountable about how my relationships are going with my family and friends. And have I read my word today? Have I prayed today? You know, and then being that community to then help me in those areas has been definitely um, beneficial. So it allows me to stay open with them and um, intentional. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely, definitely. Well, I am, this has been good. Like, it's amazing how this is, this whole conversation has been intentional. And so even, like I said, we used to go to the studio several days a week and have conversations about our day and, you know, dancing. And I think I've learned more about you in the short <laughs> time than I did <laughs> in all those many times. I mean, countless hours of time I spent with you because this was more of like a focused yeah. history lesson, I mean, so to speak, you know, and I learned some things about you that I never knew before. Um, so that was intentional in itself. So that makes me think that even people I already know, yeah, maybe we should take time out to sit down and ask questions about them of think because we'll learn new stuff. Huh? Definitely. And yeah. I think COVID taught us that too. Right. Right. Like, right. Um, with the shutdown and mm -hmm. everyone being at home and it's been over a year. My, um, my family and I have always been close. I talk to my mom basically every day and I have a good relationship with my dad. And one of my brothers lives in, in Brooklyn and another one back home, but we, you know, we text, we have a family yeah. chat. Yeah. And um, ever since the pandemic, and we still do it every Sunday, we have a Zoom. And sometimes my brothers are like, here we go. Like, you know, it's <laughs> like, all right, we're on here for an hour, but um, it's intentional. Yeah. And it was caused by this crazy, you know, event um, pandemic, but it allows me to like, I've never spoken to my brothers this often, right. ever, probably ever since I lived with them. And it's been at least 12 years of that. So 
it's really allowed, um, COVID has really allowed us to, I don't know, I guess just take advantage of the relationships we do have and actually get to know people more than we thought. Yeah. And I think it doesn't necessarily, I don't want to say it's, I, I don't think it's guilt driven, but I think in hindsight, we'll realize that being intentional keeps us from regret. Yeah. Because regret you can't really undo. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But once it's gone, it's gone. So it's nice to be on the front end of it and take that few moments to be intentional. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I, I don't know. This has been exciting. And I'm excited to see um, how my tech skills play out here with um, <laughs> find a subtitle and whatnot. And um, that should be interesting. Um, but I will get this all edited and posted and all that good stuff. And um, I think I'll be having you on again because I'm sure you're going to do something else um, historical. <laughs> <laughs> but um this has been I've Been Thinking, and we have been talking to Miss Jessica Sloan from NYC, and um, we will be um, also, she gave me an idea since she's been on here. Um, we've been talking about Leap of Faith a lot, and so I'm going to be reaching out to the owner of Leap of Faith Studio, Miss um, Crystal, and uh, see if she will be willing to come on the show. So I guess I'm kind of putting her on the spot by putting her on blast at the end of this podcast, but I'm pretty sure she will. So, cause she loves us. And so with that, I will just say, tune in next week for another episode of I've Been Thinking. Bye, Jessica. Bye. To schedule a session with Kim, visit www.kimregis.com where you can learn more about her. You can also book a free life coaching consultation. Find the link to her book, Meeting Just Fine, A Life-Changing Encounter, available on Amazon.com. View her TED Style Talk and download useful resources. Tune in next week for more I've Been Thinking, Kim's Coaching.